Hey guys, on today's pod, me and Matt discussed our three biggest surprises of the Raptors season thus far. We actually had three different things in total, you know, two of them positive, I would say, and one of them negative for both of us. Me and Matt kind of get into a small disagreement on the play style that's occurred thus far. There's been a couple players who have exceeded expectations and a couple that have not performed up to their capabilities or at least up to their expectations prior to the year beginning. Overall, I think this is kind of a good point in the season to take a look at some different things and start to question, are these just small sample data points or are they real trends that you're going to continue to watch into the season? 10 games doesn't sound like a lot, but it is really an eighth of the season. So it's a time where we should start to really take a look and start to think, do these things matter? McGrady will make the pass. McGrady looking, looking, looking. Loops it in. Carter's going to get a shot off. He does. Got it! Ross and Amir. Here's Jose. Three seconds. Gets it to DeRozan. DeRozan's fading. What a tough shot. And it goes! DeRozan with plenty of time. Five seconds, DeRozan on the drive, and kick from the corner, Van Vliet, Van Good, a two, the Raptors lead with 1.1 to play. Hey Matt, how's it going? Mike, I'm doing great. We are, you know, it's an exciting time. Like, the Raptors are tied for first in the conference, and... They are first in the conference right now. Or, or sorry, sorry, first in the NBA. Sorry, yes. first in the NBA. Sorry, that's what I meant. Yes, they are first in the conference. And, uh, you know, I think there's lots of interesting developments going on around the league, and I know that's what we're going to talk about today. But, you know, I'm finding this season to be very exciting with so many different, uh, you know, different teams emerging and and different, like, tactics going on. Still lots of drama going on. Jimmy Butler and lots of other and lots of other things. Tyson Chandler might be coming to the Lakers. Um, you know, I think it's a really good time to be a basketball fan. And, uh, you know, I know obviously still the heavy favorites are the Golden State Warriors, but I think there's a lot of intrigue going on. And depending on what happens to Golden State in the summer, I think, you know, just the whole state of basketball is in a really good spot. And uh, it's just a really exciting time to be both, A, a Raptors fan, but B, also just a fan of basketball, I think, in general. Right. And, you know, 10 games in, I think, is kind of a point where you can start to see what's real and what's not. Obviously, some things that we've seen thus far, I don't expect the Sacramento Kings to finish even near the playoffs. But I do think 10 games in, we can say definitively that they're a little bit better than we thought they would be to start the season. I don't think that the Raptors are going not the Raptors, I'm sorry, the Rockets are going to miss the playoffs or anything like that. But it's reasonable to say 10 games in with a decent sample size that some of the defensive problems that we're seeing here are for real. So obviously it's not going to finish how the standings are now, but there are some real takeaways you can gather after 10 games where you have you know, a decent sample size. This is one-eighth of the season already. I think the the Houston Rockets example is really interesting that, you know, unless you have unlimited firepower, like the golden state warriors do, right. You've got to balance out with that defense. And I think we're seeing it with both the Raptors and the bucks. Um, and even some, and even with the nuggets as well, a little bit that there's a, like defense has a really big spot in this game still. Right. And for people who just want to rely on firepower, 
like, look what happens, right? Like, the other team, you can miss three threes in a row, and the other team can waltz right in for an extra six points. And, yeah, that might only be two threes, but if they're dunking on you, that's still a momentum shift no matter what. Well, in those two pieces in Trevor Reza and Luke and Mute, it's easy to kind of write those off as role pieces, and Daryl Morey has been very talented at replacing guys like that throughout his tenure in Houston. But you're just starting to see the importance of those guys so far, and it's early. I don't want to overreact to the Houston Rockets. I do think it's fair to say they're significantly worse defensively so far this season. That being said, who knows with the buyout market. Trevor Ariza might even be on the buyout market, so... Still a lot of basketball to play, but I think there are a few things we can gather so far this season, and there's certain things that I think you can start to kind of put your finger on and see if this is for real or if this is not for real. So today we're going to be talking, we've discussed the game so far with the Raptors, and the Raptors are continuing on their hot streak. I think both me and you predicted that the Raptors' next loss would be on the back end of this back-to-back with Utah. As of right now, we're recording this prior to the game with Utah. Donovan Mitchell won't be playing, so that changes the calculus a little bit. We did not foresee a loss to the Milwaukee Bucks, such a showdown that had both, both MVP candidates missing that game. But rather than just go on with the typical reviewing the past weeks of games, I asked you to come up with your three biggest surprises of the season. I asked you not to tell me them. I came up with my three biggest surprises of the season. We'll see if we have any overlap. So, Matt, I'll start with you. What is the biggest surprise of the Toronto Raptors season thus far? It's, it's start it's, with three. I said start with three. I guess. Start with three. Okay, okay, okay. Start with three. Um I was gonna. I was gonna say you're gonna let the, <laughs> the biggest ones fly first. No, no. Um, you know it's interesting because I don't know if it's a surprise for me, but it seems to be a surprise for a lot of people. And uh, the way I wrote this down was the power of. I'm not even gonna say the power of really good coaching. I'm just gonna say the power of modern coaching. And uh, you know, for me, I'm a little bit more critical of Dwayne Casey than others. I think Dwayne Casey was very needed for the Raptors at his particular time, right? And establishing culture and, and, and even implementing any winning ways into a, into a team that just had none, right, at the time. But now that that culture is kind of there and kind of seeped through and is really seeping through throughout the league, I think, as well as, the, you know, the power, of, the power of coaching, right? Has Nick, so, like, you know, a lot of, uh, Nick Nurse is deservedly so getting a lot of praise, especially for the play of someone like Ibaka, right? But is he doing anything revolutionary? That still has yet to be seen, I think. But what he's really doing is he's he's using his utilizing his players through the modern NBA system. And really, the you know Bobby Webster and Masai Ujiri have brought in these players for particular reasons, right? And that's to play a modern style of basketball. So when you start playing that more modern style with a with a you know one traditional big and four shooters around you, you're getting a lot more cuts a lot more um you you know i i don't remember the raptors ever as often as i'm seeing this season it's like once or twice a game just getting that you know that easy back cut for an easy dunk right i think we're seeing more dunks we're seeing a lot of open threes now of course there's of course the concern is that the raptors need to be hitting more threes but getting those open threes is half that battle so 
you know, I think I think just the power of that modern coaching mindset is really allowing it, the players to just be better. And it has nothing to do with an a increase in skill level, I don't think at all. I just think it has to do with utilizing players to their strengths. Um, I think Nick Nurse has done a really fantastic job of calling timeouts and, you know, killing momentum at, at the right points. But just the power of that modern coach within the NBA is just made all the difference in the world for the Raptors for me. I will just go ahead and kind of bring up my third point because it plays off it somewhat, although it's it's a little different. I was going to say the fact that this team is perhaps not playing as modern as I thought they would. They, oh, okay. They're playing, like you said, they're playing smaller, so in that way it's much more modern. I think that the change of putting Ibaka at center has made all the world in the difference, and I'm actually having a column come out this Thursday that will talk about how Really, it's less of what Serge Ibaka's changed as a player and more just the position that he has been in. But as far as kind of when I think of a modern team, I think of a team that shoots threes and plays at a fast pace. The Raptors, relative to the league, now the whole league is running faster and shooting more threes this season, but relative to the league are shooting significantly less three-pointers than they did last year and are playing at a slightly slower pace. So with Nick Nurse, I thought coming into the season that we would see a lot more threes, that they would be near the league lead in three-point attempts similar to last season, and you would see the pace be somewhere around perhaps not if top five, at least top ten. So far, we're a little bit slower this season. We're in the 14th pace compared to 13th. We've attempted the 10th most threes compared to the third most threes last year. Like you said, Obviously, there's been significant changes with moving Surge to center and having more shooters out there. But the fact that this team isn't really playing faster and shooting more threes was a little bit of a surprise to me this season. I wouldn't say it's necessarily a good surprise or a bad surprise. It just is a little bit kind of jarring as far as play style to see. I think I think one thing with the play style that that is that that, that is to my liking, and I would consider if we're gonna quote-unquote modern, right, is they seem to be moving the ball in the half court with a lot more purpose, right, and a lot more. Last year year there seemed to be a lot of fumbling in terms of, well, I don't really know what I'm going to do next, right? I don't really know where my teammate's going to be. And this year there seems to be a lot less of that. Now, this is, of course, me coming off of the game yesterday without Kawhi, right, and they definitely certainly played a faster play, uh, certainly played a faster pace then. Um, obviously, Kawhi Leonard, you know, he, he's going to slow things down a little bit. He's a little bit more of an ISO player. And uh, I think this new quote unquote style is it's still getting so he's still getting used to it a little bit. But um, I mean, there could also be an argument to be made going back to the Houston Rockets that you could play too modern, right? And shoot too many threes or play too fast, right? And too many turnovers. And so, um, I think, you know, it's a delicate balance, but I would certainly say they are more uh, modern, quote-unquote, than somebody like the Detroit Pistons, who are on a four-game losing streak right now. Oh, yeah, sure. I just was kind of surprised at how similar the play style's been in terms of pace and things like that to Dwayne Casey's system. There's been mm-hmm. a lot of changes, as you've mentioned, Obviously, the biggest one is the search thing, and we keep hammering that home, but I don't think it can be stressed enough. 
you took the starting front court and have totally split them and they haven't played a minute together. So that's obviously a gigantic change to the team. To your point, as far as assist, the Raptors currently rank second in the NBA in assist. I think last year they were somewhere between five and ten, which is still a very good team, but second, they are only second to the Golden State Warriors, who are averaging an absurd 30.7 assists per game. Uh, for reference, Toronto's down to 26. So they're behind the Warriors only in terms of assists. The other team up there, the Milwaukee Bucks, is another elite offense this season. They are passing the ball a little bit more, but I was just, again, shocked at the kind of the similar play style to last season, even if it is with different personnel. No, definitely, and I and I can certainly see that argument. Um, uh, I think another thing that if we're since we're talking about coaching, and hopefully it's not one of your points, is I just think that Nick Nurse, his biggest accomplishment so far, has been his rotations. I think the rotations, for the most part, have been really well or really good. Obviously, he's using some of that with historical research because the bench has not performed as well as it could have. And I saw somebody ask him if, you know, with OG back, that he's going to put Siakam back on the bench. And I loved his answer because he was like, how can I? Because he's playing so good. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Right, right? And I just think, I just think that, that, that just shows that, you know, he's not going to change things just because somebody expects him to change things, right? He's going mm-hmm. to do things that – and what the players are telling him and what the players are performing with, which is how the team wins, so – yeah, I didn't have Siakam as one of my three biggest surprises, but he was right on the list. He was the next one up. I would have said he was my honorable mention. But, Matt, let's move on to number two here. What would you say is the second biggest surprise of the season? For me, I think the second biggest surprise of the season is the lack of, or, you know, I would say half lack of and then full lack of of progression for Norman Powell and CJ Miles. I thought that these were two players that had all the potential in the world to under a new Nick Nurse system. Now, of course, that Nick Nurse system hasn't potentially been what it what we thought it was going to be. Um, But they still I mean, especially CJ Miles is 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 really ice cold. Right. And. And you can and and he's and with his lackluster defense, he's looking more like a pylon and less like a player out there on the floor sometimes. And I think that you know C.J. Miles has had his fair share of open threes as well that aren't going in. For Norman Powell, I say half there because he's certainly being a little bit more effective than he was last year. But his his lack of basketball IQ, I think, in many ways is really bringing him down a little bit. And, I, and, and and last year I wasn't necessarily sure if it was a basketball IQ thing as more of a, I think the Raptors, uh, I thought maybe the Raptors culture was so positive that he took it in a negative way and that a fresh start would have really helped him. But for me, I, I just think that he, 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 he just doesn't seem to know what to do with the ball and just doesn't seem to be learning from his teammates quickly enough. And, uh, you know, he still makes, he still makes some bad decisions in, uh, in pick and roll situations, especially, on the defensive end of the floor as well, that it, 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 it's becoming it's becoming a little bit more troublesome, especially as we're, you know, trying to integrate that bench and make that bench more effective. So, yeah, I would say that's been my my second biggest surprise is the lack of of um, uh, of uh, progression or input uh, from those guys. Uh, I didn't have this one. I'm glad that for once. 
I feel I'm always the pessimist, so I'm glad that for once you're taking the negative side of things on this. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm more surprised on the C.J. Miles part. I thought Norman Powell, there was certainly a chance that he could return to form this season. I wasn't counting on it. The C.J. Miles thing is really perplexing to me. He's just been really bad so far this season. If... If I'm Nurse, I think that you need to stick with Miles and you need to kind of ride out this wave. I do think it's a wave rather than a long-term thing. Shooters go in slumps, you know, just keep shooting. For Norman Powell, I'm more concerned. He just, it feels like he plays 14 minutes a game and you forget that he played 14 minutes. He doesn't make a real impact on the court. He's solid defensively, but he does almost nothing on offense. He doesn't really space the floor. He's not an elite shooter. He doesn't make plays attacking the basket. He's just, it's almost like he's not there. And maybe having Norman, or um, maybe having Fred Van Vliet and DeLon Wright will help open things up for him. I certainly hope so. But that one to me is more concerning than CJ Miles. Miles has a long enough track record. And it's not like he's getting killed on a bunch of, it's not like he's lost a step and you think, well, CJ Miles is the same player. He's just not hitting shots. That one I'm less concerned about for Norman Powell. That's starting to become a long-term trend, and it's becoming a long-term trend for someone that the Raptors have a lot of money invested in. You know, I know it's dumb, but the two (laughs) players we just mentioned are the two last GoDaddy sponsors for the (laughs) Toronto Raptors, right? I, I I know you're in the States, so you don't see those commercials all the time, but it's... Like, thank God Lowry didn't do the GoDaddy commercials this year because he would have broken his knee in the first game and and we wouldn't have him. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it, it, it's really fascinating. But yeah, I think, I think, I, I, I tend to agree with you that, you know, if CJ can find that form and, you know, hit four threes a game, then the Raptors are going to be even better, right? Norman Powell's, Norman Powell's problems are at a more fundamental level, right? And it's amazing to me that somebody who, played who's played a lot longer than someone like Siakam just hasn't picked it up right and it's like is it really is, is it an attitude thing like like I don't know but yeah you're right it's becoming a lot of money on that um you know on that team that's going to be hard to move if if not impossible I don't know if you could even trade that contract I think you can always trade a contract you know depending on what you put with it and things like that so you can find it the problem is it just becomes a negative contract that you have to attach a peg with Right. You don't want to be in the habit of trading out first rounders. Do you think there's something to giving minutes to both Paul and Miles, and they're just not getting enough time on the court to get into a rhythm? And it's kind of like you're trying to keep them both involved, but in a way you're keeping neither of them involved. Honestly, I think that could be a big piece of it because there really isn't a lot of winger minutes to give around, right? For the most part, so splitting it like that is is almost detrimental, I think, to both players because neither can really find his form, right? And in in many cases, right, who would you rather have out there? Powell gives you a little bit of defense, but CJ could give you a lot more offense, right? And I think CJ's just smarter with the ball and moves the ball a lot better as well. Um, I think I would leave CJ in there if I had to choose between one of them. I think it would be CJ. Well, and it, part of it is kind of balancing your future versus balancing your present. If you're yeah. a younger team where, or maybe because the Raptors are good enough and during the regular season they think, 
we'll make a bet on the future and put Norman Powell in the lineup consistently over C.J. Miles, similar to what the 76ers tried to do with Markel Fultz, and it didn't work out for them. But it would be a, a much lower risk for the Toronto Raptors as they're not starting him. Where you say, we're going to take the bet on the athletic guy and hope that he turns it around. And we can always come back to C.J. Miles later. But at the same time, if you ask me which one do I think has a better chance of working out, it's undoubtedly C.J. Miles. Because we saw it just last season, you know. Yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. And to that point, you're going to see less minutes available now with OG coming back and and hopefully both Wright and Fred VanVleet. I think there's a real good possibility one gets squeezed out of the rotation coming up here. Yeah, yeah, I think so too, especially – I mean, they have a little bit easier stretch of games coming up over this month, but uh, December is a little bit tougher of a month, too, for them. So that's when they'll really see the squeeze, right? So, um, I mean, especially if there's no injuries and this team stays historically healthy. Because right now, actually, I mean, it's not really a surprise. It's not on my list, but they've actually been a little bit more banged up than they have been in the past, which is interesting as well. But um, I think they've done a great job, again, going back to our third point, of course, managing those injuries and stuff. All right. For my second one, I will give you my second biggest surprise of the season is the play of Danny Green. Danny Green has been absolutely spectacular this season. He had a bit of a down year last year. Part of that was due to the injury. And coming into the season, I just wasn't sure how much of it had to do with injury and how much of it had to do with age. As we see Danny Green playing this well this early this season, I think we can be pretty certain that a lot of that had to do with injury rather than age. And he's really, you know, having a breakout, not a breakout year, but a return to form year. And it's been spectacular for the Raptors and really a huge bonus to that Kawhi trade. A bounce back year. (laughs) Yeah, bounce back. Yeah, a bounce back year. No, I um I think this is a I think this is a great point. I still think that, you know, Danny Green, I'm glad that you mentioned him because I still feel like Danny Green is not mentioned enough on this team. Um I feel like he's not getting the credit he deserves still. Uh Danny Green, uh obviously a champion, three and D guy. Uh he has been fantastic from three. Uh you know, I I've watched a lot of Danny Green, but I never really noticed his form until this year. His his form is his form is very interesting. He really keeps his upper body perfectly stiff and that's really nice and he has such a nice teardrop to his arc to the arc in his shot as well i think it's fantastic and for me danny green is is somebody who's just that reliable um he is he is really hitting down uh, every shot at a fantastic clip right now and he's playing great defense and uh, i actually also think that he's a fantastic culture guy for this team and I'm so glad that he came in the trade because I'm not sure if the culture would have been as built up as quickly without him. And just the way he's been integrated into everything has been really fantastic to see. So, I, I'm, again, I'm super glad that you mentioned him because, again, he doesn't get enough credit. Right. He's shooting 48% from three so far this season. That's just not going to last. It's not a sustainable number. Even the Steph Curry's of the NBA don't shoot 48% from three. If he shot something around 38% and continues to get six three-pointers off a game, that's more than enough for this Raptors team. Six three-pointers is huge. It's second on the team only to Kyle Lowry, who hits an incredible 6.4, and who's really been just firing from deep lately. You know, he had that one that was from the logo of the half-court line, 
Yeah. And, <laughs> and you know, like six three-pointers a game is an amazing number for Danny Green to get up. He's shooting some difficult attempts. Like I said, I don't expect 48% to continue, but I do think he can hover around that 40% number, which is huge for Toronto. Oh, definitely. And, and just, you know, again, a guy that can really – space the floor and a guy that that the team has to worry about right like I think that was one part of the problem last year with the Raptors and on the offensive end especially in the playoffs is that teams didn't respect their three-point shooting enough um at least not from enough players so it caused problems for DeMar on uh and Lowry on both ends of the or both especially on the offensive end in terms of finding space and making moves and, and trying to create and trying to make something happen in the half court and especially in the paint I mean, no, 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 the defenses weren't flinching at their three-point shooting. So to have that guy that it's like, well, we can't leave this guy open. He's going to hit the three. Then we're doing a lot better that way. And as a defender, Danny Green's lost a step in the way that I don't think you want him to be guarding the number one option anymore. He just athletically doesn't have the skill set to match up with the real elite perimeter players of the game today. But what he does have is an incredible motor. He's incredibly smart, and it's not like he's a poor athlete. So when you saw the Raptors play the 76ers, one thing he did incredibly well was chase J.J. Redick around those screens and did a fantastic job. J.J. Redick was having a phenomenal season coming into that game. He was basically shut out on that game, and that was really due to Danny Green running through those screens, chasing those screens. I think what you'll see from now on is Danny Green kind of taking the more perimeter shooting option. So when you're thinking of facing the Warriors, he'll be facing Clay Thompson. When you're facing the Celtics, he'll probably be having he'll probably take on Jason Tatum or maybe Gordon Hayward. That one's a little rougher, but he doesn't have the kind of skill set to go against the elite guys anymore. But he does a fantastic job on second and third options. Yeah, and I think. You know, I think I think this goes for the team as a whole, but I think the team has done a fantastic job of running everybody off the line. I think everybody's been doing has been really finding that concerted effort to really bring people off the line. And I've been noticing it more and more. I noticed it a lot in the Lakers game last night too that uh, everybody is kind of running running people off the line. And I think that's really messing with teams' rotations a little bit. And teams are kind of expecting that guy to shoot, but then. The Raptors are really getting there and really running them off the line. So I, I, it, it's an interesting strategy that against these three-point shooting teams, it's uh, it, it's working. Now, of course, the only team it didn't work against was the Milwaukee Bucks. But, uh, you know, I don't know how I feel about that game. I don't know if it's just kind of a write-off game and it doesn't really mean anything or if it does mean a little something. Uh, it's a little tough to say with so many players out for the Raptors. Right, yeah. I, I don't think you can say it means nothing in the big scheme of things. At the same time, I'm not overly concerned with what it means for this team in the long-term future. You lose games, everybody loses games. So, yeah. With that being said, Matt, what is yeah. your biggest surprise of the season thus far? My boy Kyle Lowry has another level of of in him. And it's amazing to see how Lowry has found an even greater level of himself as he gets older. And has become a better player. And, you know, I think the thing I'm most proud about Lowry with is that, you know, I don't know if he was messing with the media over the summer or messing with people, but he seemed like he was acting like he was very unhappy. And now he looks happier than he's ever been. 
obviously he's not he's not as at his happiest because Demar's not there, but he's playing better than he ever has. He's his his assist. I mean, he's leading the NBA in assists at least of tonight, I believe. And um, I mean, I mean, the, again, we mentioned his three point shooting. His leadership has been fantastic. His defense has been unbelievable. I saw something on Twitter today where it was saying, you know, seven footers should think twice before they decide to post up Kyle Lowry. And they showed this great video of him stopping Embiid and then stopping all these guys. Uh, I think he's locked in. I think he knows that this is his best opportunity that he's probably ever going to have to win a championship or at least go to the finals. And he is committed to leading this team and to, and to being the best self he can be. I think his decision-making is a lot better. Uh, I'm, I, I, I'm a, I'm a fan of when he pushes the ball forward. However, sometimes those full court passes uh, can be a little disheartening. And every once in a while, he'll take a three that you know is a bad shot. But when he's shooting at such a high rate like he is right now, I mean, you have to really excuse it. But I think that Lowry's next level has been just such an amazing surprise, and uh, that there's been no slowdown in him as he, uh, it, uh, now that he's a year older. He's actually gotten better. And uh, I think this is the best we've ever seen Kyle Lowry in a Toronto Raptors uniform. Right. Uh, to your point about him taking a couple threes that kind of make you cringe, I'm with you. But when you're hitting it at that high of a rate, yeah, I, I think it's kind of it's kind of a trick on your mind because you almost have to recalibrate what's a good shot. This happened with Curry when I first watched him. I thought, what are you doing shooting that? But for him, when you make it at such an incredible rate, and it's Kyle Lowry's not Steph Curry, I realize that. But when you hit those difficult shots like that, at some level, those don't become bad shots. They're smart shots because you're hitting them. You know, when you hit 40% from three, that's like shooting 65% from two. So that's an incredible stat, like you said. Kyle Lowry's been absolutely fantastic this season. He's in perhaps the best player on the team so far this year, I think. You can make a case for him that he's been better than Kawhi so far this young season with his assist and, you know, playing on a night-in, night-out basis. Like you said, what he's done this season is really impressive, and I just hope that he can keep it going. Me too. Uh, I think that's going to be the most interesting thing to watch over the coming months is can he continue to play at this clip? Can is Father Time not on his side? It could be on his side, right? You know, people are people are criticizing LeBron a little bit for maybe not being at his elite level yet, and who knows how much of that is just distractions or or whatever. But um, I think that Lowry is is playing at that clip, and I think his determination will always be there, and I hope his body keeps up with it because, again, we just worry about the age, right? Like that, I don't I don't question the heart, I don't question the attitude. And I don't question his leadership. I just, you know, you know, can can his body do it? Who knows? I totally agree with you. And I hate to be the negative person. I prevented myself from doing it in the first one. But one thing I do want to point out is I've seen a couple of these Kyle Lowry needs to be considered for an MVP candidate on Twitter. Yeah. And can we slow down here? I mean, no offense to Kyle Lowry. He's great. But... To be an MVP candidate, you have to be one of the top 10 players in the NBA. I don't think anyone would argue Kyle Lowry is one of the top 10. And really, you probably should be one of the top five players in the NBA. So, as great as the season's been, the Raptor fans that have the Kyle Lowry for MVP, let's just slow down here. If you want to take Kyle Lowry for MVP, I'll give anyone out there whatever odds you want within 1 in 100. 
and feel free to send your money this way. I'll give you my Venmo. DM me. <laughs> He's calling you out. No, I, I. It's just an annoying thing. I like it almost kind of in a way. It like ruins what he's doing offensively in a way that these people are kind of diminishing what he's doing by saying, oh, well, he's an MVP candidate. No, he's not that, but he's still been spectacular this season in what he's doing at his age, perhaps having his best season of his career so far has really been impressive. Mike, we are Toronto sports fans. <laughs> and I know you don't live here, but we are either – 100% in or 100% out. <laughs> there is no in-between. You're either – I mean, come on, man. Kawhi was getting MVP chance at the first yeah, game. Yeah, that's and true. I was there, and I was giving those MVP chances. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And to continue with my negativity theme, I will go with my biggest surprise of the season, and that is the struggles of the Toronto Raptors bench. Yep. The bench has really been bad this season. I thought that it would get even better this year when you talk about adding in OG Ananobi kind of to that group. So far, it's been really bad. It's been banged up. I'm not sure what percentage of their struggles have to do with being banged up and not having all their pieces and what percentage have to do with integrating into the starters rather than being a mob unit. Matt, what do you think of the bench struggles so far this year? So funny enough, I... You know, my sixth sense, Mike, it, it, it sensed that you were going to say that. So I actually changed uh, my number one from being that to the Kyle Lowry thing. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's – I think besides Kawhi, I think it has to be the biggest story that we're talking about, especially with on-the-court issues with the team. Um, the, you know, I think the whole collective group is kind of darn lucky that that the starters have been – absolutely unbelievable because the support from the bench really has not been there. Right. Um, we've, we, we've talked about this a few times, but you know, the more I talk about it, the more I see it is that they're really relying on Fred Van Vliet. Even last night, you could see that they're really relying on Fred Van Vliet to do something. And it's been kind of becoming a theme, right? We can't have Fred Van Vliet be our third best player. Now, right now, Ibaka's being our third best player, but um, the best player with that complete bench unit I don't know if it can be Fred VanVleet. I think it needs to be back to its more collective unit, right? And if they're not, and, and if they're truly committed to Siakam being in the starting lineup, which I would be as well, then they really have to rely on someone like OG. Um, and obviously, OG's you know still working, still probably working himself into game shape because he's been in and out so much recently with uh, with personal issues. But I think that that that, that this will really solidify whether OG is going to be somebody legit or. If, or if he's having a little bit of a slump, is this period where he's going to be really looked looked to uh, to lead that bench unit, right, and be that guy, be that sixth option that can really uh, corral the team together and create big plays as well. So I think um, I think uh, yeah, I would definitely agree with you. I think we really the the bench really needs to come together, and I hope and I hope that at least a few easier games coming up, maybe against the Knicks on uh, over the weekend, that they will be able to get together and maybe find a little bit of chemistry. I don't even know if it's necessarily a chemistry problem. It's, it, it's more so really, I think, just like they're, they're, they're really struggling offensively. And, and maybe that's the simplified playbook working against them a little bit. But, uh, you know, you need to have a high basketball IQ to really work in the NBA and to really be legitimate. And uh, I'm not saying anybody has a low basketball IQ. It's just that... 
you know, you need to be able to work and create without necessarily a system around you. Oh, I'll say, I, I don't think Norman Powell has a high basketball IQ if we're being frank. No, but, no, 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 no uh, not, not Norman Powell. I was just meant the whole group as a whole. Yeah, yeah. Um, they really miss Pascal, it appears. You know, yeah. his playmaking was huge for that team. And Jakob Perto was a pretty good passer out of the post, too. And once you kind of replace those guys with JV, who I think is a good but not great passer, and OG Ananobi, who, as talented as he is, hasn't played that much one and two, He's just not the creator that Pascal Siakam is, kind of one in interior passes and two running the break like this. So as they talked about moving Pascal back to the banks for OG, it might be a situation where you give it a shot just because, not because Pascal is playing poorly or that OG is the better player, but in fact the exact opposite that you need that punch on your bench and you need that playmaking on your bench. Still, I think for now, you just kind of play it as is. You wait till you get both Fred VanVleet and DeLon Wright into the lineup working together again. Give them a couple games to kind of find their kind of, find the rhythm on offense again, find start to get used to playing with these new people. I hope things turn around here. I expect them to, but I am officially worried at this point in the season. Put me put me down for that as well. I think you know, it's 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 a little it's a little concerning and and uh, you know, I I've been appreciating the less hockey rotations. Um it's but you know, you've seen situations where the lead has been squandered even against the Lakers where they had to bring in the starters probably earlier than they wanted to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that. And I think there's something to, as great as DeLon Wright and Fred Van Vliet are, both of them are kind of tweeners offensively in the fact that I think they're as much two guards as they are point guards on offense. So that Mm -hmm. works really well when you have them both out there together. It's, you know, one playing off the other and you're able to have two guards who have a similar responsibility on offense. But when there's just one of them out there, it doesn't have enough playmaking juice. And you started to see that with the bench this season as one of those guys has been banged up for pretty much every game so far. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know how you fix it yet. Like, I don't know what the solution is. Sure. Yeah. Me neither. I, I think it's something that you monitor for a number, another 10 games or so. Hopefully have everybody healthy before you make any drastic changes. Maybe a little, a, a few changes on the, uh, kind of on the edges with either C.J. Miles or Norman Powell. But it's something to monitor as the season goes on before making drastic changes in my mind. Oh, definitely, definitely. Another, can I, can I give you an honorable mention surprise? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I could never put this in the actual top three. But Kawhi Leonard is wearing more Raptors gear <laughs> as we go along every week. You know, I think like I like I you know I think the Raptors have one of the best marketing departments in all of sports. I think they do an absolutely fantastic job. Um, they, uh, but you know, it's funny they always take pictures of the of them walking in and out of like the the arena or whatever. And he he used to you know the first few games he was only wearing Jordan stuff or Kawhi stuff, but. You know, I've noticed over the last few games, he's just committed to that Raptors gear, and I think that's really good. 
Um, also, I think another big surprise is that people also related to Kawhi is that people still think that they can guess what he's going to do. <laughs> like, 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 like to be like, like if I'm being completely honest, if I was Kawhi, I, I mean, I mean, I would just be like, look, I got a really good team here that I can lead. Let's see what let, 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 I'm just going to buy in and then see what happens. Right. Um, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I don't know what you think, but I mean, I don't think he has an, I don't think he has a clue what he's going to do. As far as the Raptors gear goes, I will say Kawhi seems like the type of dude that only wears free t-shirts. So <laughs> he probably hasn't bought his own thing and only gets like what the marketing campaign gives him. So maybe you shouldn't read into it. No, but on a serious note, I'm with you. I, I don't think he's decided what he's doing yet. And it'd be pretty stupid to decide what you're doing at this point in time. Why would you prevent six additional months of data from factoring into your decision? Maybe he has an idea of which way he's leaning, but to have a hard, a hard decision made right now is, I mean, I just don't think so. Yeah, I yeah, I don't think so either. Um, say they won and, the, it's not likely, but say they win the NBA Finals. Is he going to leave then? You know, there's so many factors, in, or say they can't, they lost in the first round then he probably wouldn't come back. You know, there's so many factors based on their season that what's going to happen later this season that will factor into that decision. That's why I don't think it makes any sense for him to have already decided. Yeah. And, and, and to be honest with you, I mean, I mean, if you had already decided to leave, um, why would you, why would you be playing so hard or so well? Right. It's like er anybody's going to offer you the max and they can all offer you the same max. Right. So I, he, he I, he's definitely bought in though. I, I, without a doubt, I think he's bought it. Absolutely. I agree with you. Yep. So yep. I, before we get going here, as we look forward to the next you know week or so, what is something that you're keeping your eye on? For me, I think it's, it, it's really the minutes management, I think. The, you know, this is an interesting week. They only have three games. This game is on tonight's game against Utah is on the back to back, and then of course the the other two games are kind of spread out, but they have to go from Sacramento to back to Toronto. I, I I'm really interested in the minutes management, especially in those games against the weaker opponents, which are I mean the I mean the Sacramento Kings are for, like you like you mentioned off the top are. Right now, playing like they're no slouch, they they they're playing pretty well. But for me, I think the um, uh, the minutes management, and then if that bench can get it together against those uh, those you know quote unquote lesser opponents, that if they can sustain longer stretches, that's just better for our team in the long run because that means just less wear and tear and run with our big guys. Right, I agree with you. I know the Kings have been playing better. They're not on the Raptors level. The Knicks certainly aren't on the Raptors level. So I expect two wins there. By the time anybody listens to this, the Jazz game will be over. I'm predicting a win. And if they do lose, then pretend you didn't hear that point and I knew that they would lose in the back-to-back. -back. So <laughs> I think I, I, I also agree with you. I think uh, I definitely think JV starts this game. I think you got to put him in there with Rudy Gobert out there. But Ooh, uh, see, I, I would rather go Serge Ibaka to draw Rudy okay. away from the rim defensively see 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 now that's an interesting point too um you know because he makes yeah. a bigger impact de defensively than he does offensively so true you know true. actually matt let's go ahead and do the post game right now so okay. kyle lowry had another big performance yep it was a great it night was, for it was him. great wow i was i was shocked a lot so of assists early um 
the Jazz really struggled to create offense without Donovan Mitchell. Joe Ingles had a nice game, but ultimately, ultimately it wasn't enough, and it was a great victory by the Raptors. I gotta say, I gotta say that Joe Ingles, I'm, I'm Joe. I'm sorry I didn't take you on my fantasy team because you, you, you're playing, you're playing really well. I really wish I could have seen uh, uh, Donovan Mitchell though, because I think that that the, that kid is one of the few that that kid is one of the futures of the NBA. I mean, that guy is just amazing. But um, I'm really glad also the altitude never got to the uh, never got to the Raptors either. Yeah, uh, third game in four nights. It was yeah. great that it did not get to the Raptors. Yeah, and I mean, also, uh, uh, I mean, it sucks that Kawhi Leonard didn't play. Uh, it, it, it's really unfortunate, but I'm glad that they're giving him the rest that he needs on his ankle uh, and uh, or on his foot, I guess, because that looked like a I looked like an old man injury, you know, when he just kind of like 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 stutter stepped and then just like had to go to the locker room. But uh, it was really nice that the Raptors to see continued ball movement as well. All right, man. I think that will do it all for us today. Uh, Thanks for coming on, man. No problem. Talk to you later, man.